This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's over 24 hours since the Bad Boys City prevailed in the good versus evil clash against Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium. We'll continue to dissect exactly what that result means going forward while also starting to look ahead to the weekend fixture against Forest. It's Friday the 17th of February. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I'm George Gamble. And this is the City Report podcast. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Adam, uh, referenced it in the introduction, you caused a Twitter storm. Arsenal Fan TV after the match on Wednesday night. Um, I'm not sure the person, the fellow who who was who was claiming City were the the evil masterminds of English football and Arsenal were the goody goody two shoes, but um, that was one takeaway from what was quite an eventful night. Yeah, I um, yeah, I, luckily I haven't had too much uh, backlash from from people down south. Uh, it's been mostly City fans, kind of just just bigging it up, but. Um, yeah, I thought it was a very interesting reference there, good versus evil. It reminds me a bit, and to be fair, I'm not a superhero movie fan, so I may have this reference completely mixed up. But from my understanding of Avengers, Thanos is trying to wipe out the population, but it's in an effort to like cleanse the Earth, right? Because humans yeah. are ruining the Earth. Yeah. So I've always viewed him as the good guy, and he's trying to cleanse a, you know, a corrupt planet. And that's, <laughs> uh, that's kind of how I feel about City at the moment. Are you, are you calling City Thanos? Is that? <laughs> I think I think in some ways I am. They're trying to cleanse a corrupt uh, footballing system. And and what are the dirty nine clubs who who complain to? I to guess they're the Premier Avengers. League? Yeah. Oh God, there's subverting a fairy. They think they think they're they're uh, they're in the good, but they're actually just dickheads. 
So we started today's show with some uh, Marvel fan fiction, George. Welcome back, by the way. It's been a, it's been a hot minute. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Been uh, been very busy. I mean, I'm <laughs> no, I've not been back for longer than three minutes. There's already just the most excellent <laughs> reference there. Absolutely, it's fantastic. And if anything, going on kind of what you just said. Arsenal have got to be the Loki, haven't they? Trying to deceive and put off a, a picture that ah. they're actually very good, but they're very not, very much yeah. not. Especially after the season saw yesterday, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, no, yeah, really happy to be back. Looking forward to diving into the action. Yeah, I was going to try and make some more Avengers references, but I think we <laughs> probably should get onto the football because there's yeah. still loads to speak about. There's still loads to speak about. Um, if you haven't already, um, after this, of course, go back and listen to yesterday's show. There was a four-man uh, squad dissecting sort of immediate post-match reaction. Adam, we're going to delve into a bit more of the the nitty-gritty, some of the uh, more important talking points. But one we didn't speak about on the on yesterday's show was that penalty decision. Now, ultimately, it rendered somewhat meaningless I don't know what your thoughts were at the time what your thoughts are now for me it felt like it was one of those one one where I'm looking at it and going the argument if that's anywhere else outside the outside the box then it's given as a foul doesn't exactly stand up because you know if that happens on the halfway line you don't get a chance to score a goal I just wasn't sure it was worthy enough to give Arsenal a sort of 0.8 xg opportunity to score I don't know what you thought yeah, I mean, if you want to like open the can of worms, that is whether or not penalty kicks should be awarded for certain fouls in the box. That's a whole other topic. But to the letter of the law, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it be giving as a been, uh, to be given as a penalty because you talk about it being outside the box, and I look at you know if that was Inketia kind of down the right wing, and he and he pushes the ball past Kyle Walker, and then Kyle Walker takes him out at the knees. That's a yellow card and 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 an obvious foul, um, but then obviously you know you get the whole idea of is he of any threat to the goal? Probably not. Um, but unfortunately, still in twenty twenty three, any foul in the box is a penalty kick. So I I was okay with it if it had gone the other way and they went to a VAR review and decided it was too soft for a penalty. I would have been fine with that too. So I didn't really. Um, kind of buy into the the outrage that I was seeing from from you know kind of online fans and and even in our group chat I thought it was fine I, I didn't it didn't bother me either way. George, don't know what you thought of it. Um, I, guess, I guess the overarching sense for me was if you're giving penalties for that, you're probably looking at six or seven a weekend in the Premier League for similar fouls. I, I, again, you know, Adam's right. It's a fear, it's a sort of a philosophical question more than anything. Is it a foul in the box? Yeah, I suppose then in that case, Anthony Taylor has every right to point to the spot. But I just felt in, in a game of that magnitude, it would have been, had Arsenal sort of gone on to win the game and, and City's early goal had been cancelled out because of it, I, I felt like it would have been a really cheap way to sort of decide the fixture, um, like I said, given what was on the line. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly how I felt. And it was one of them, obviously you react in kind of the heat of the moment and then you can sort of reflect on it a bit more once it's mm. kind of happened and it's had a chance to sink in. And at first glance for me, I kind of thought if you're an Arsenal fan, it's a penalty all day long. And if you're a City fan, there's no way that's a penalty. But <laughs> I think what I kind of realised as well, if anything, my annoyance wasn't necessarily at the decision. It was more yet again, what's being highlighted is the sheer inconsistencies you know amongst decision making amongst the officials you you know you saw was it Leeds versus Wolves early in the season the replay showed that Jose Sarr just completely taken out his man but Robert Jones you know he didn't award a penalty he didn't award a, you know he just awarded a foul obviously for uh, 
for for the host and it was the VEI even had a look at it and it was just their opinion that there was no wrongdoing and that was worse in my opinion mm. than the one we saw last night from from Edison and it was just more for me I was very very frustrated that well hang on a minute how is that one a penalty but but then that one isn't and then you can kind of buy into the oh is that just a decision that's now going against us because everything's going on but you know you, like I said you get in the heat of the moment you start thinking about all these things but I completely agree with you it's easy to kind of sit here knowing that you know we won the game 3-1 but had it been a one-all draw I'd be absolutely seething I'd be mm. fuming so it's one of those that thankfully you know didn't necessarily have much sway in the game it wasn't a necessarily decisive uh, moment as it were but yeah, for me, it was just the highlighting of those inconsistencies and you sort of wonder on another day, could that be more important? Could it be more decisive and could it hamper us? You just All you want is consistency. But I think my initial thoughts were, I thought it was slightly harsh, personally. Mm, that is it, isn't it? That is exactly it. I was thinking at half-time, I've been watching football my entire life. Um, earlier in my life, I, I used to referee and did that for a good number of years and, and sort of would at least hope I did it at a decent enough level. Since then, worked in sports media, football media um, from that point on. And and at the moment, Adam, I just don't know what I'm expecting every time I watch a game. It feels like I, I would always have assumed I had a decent grasp on what the rules were. And even those sort of those sort of grey area ones or those rules that sort of come out of the woodworks once in every five years, I'm like, oh yeah, that's because of this, etc. At the moment, I have no idea. I genuinely have no idea. And it, and it feels as though... The referees, I'm not going to come on air and absolutely you know, witch hunt referees because it's a torrid, horrible job. However, at the same time, it feels to me like they're having to be seen to be doing something to negate the sort of the backlash, the the criticism. Because, for example, Sky Sports, obviously those in the US wouldn't have seen this, but Sky Sports every Monday have an hour-long special called Ref Watch where they analyse every sort of semi-controversial refereeing decision. It's part of the culture, isn't it? And, and I feel like that's possibly a penalty that doesn't get given if referees are allowed to do the job without the backlash that follows. Yeah, I mean... It- as much as refs will tell you that they're not influenced by the crowd or by players, they they absolutely are. And when, mm. you know, 10, 11 players are surrounding you, yelling at you about, you know, what they believe is is the wrong decision, then it's going to influence you. I think this kind of all goes back to VAR. And I think that referees have dropped their standards given the fact that they have a safety blanket, but it turns out that the safety blanket has a bunch of holes in it. So yeah. it's yeah. not really a safety blanket at all for them because the the man in the booth or in the truck or whatever is just as incompetent as the man on uh, running up and down the the pitch. So um yeah, there is an extreme lack of of quality with the referees and we obviously heard um over the weekend after a number of kind of insane VAR decisions that um Howard Webb, the head of the PGMOL had an emergency meeting I don't know what was discussed at that meeting, obviously, um, but hopefully the standards start to pick up. I think, to be honest, I actually think Howard Webb is going to do a decent job, and he hasn't been in the job long. Um, mm. But yeah, like you said, it's just so inconsistent. And I, I've kind of become apathetic to it, and I'm just mm. whatever decision comes is the, is the decision that's going to get made, and I'm not really expecting them to make the right decision at this point. Um, and anyone who's you know a firm believer that, that the refs have a have an agenda against their team specifically, the refs aren't competent enough for that. <laughs> that that would take an extreme level of organization and competence, and they literally cannot draw the lines for an offside call. So there's no, there's no agenda against your team. 
Yeah, yeah, when they can't even award a throw-in um, in the correct direction sometimes, there's no chance they've got this sort of multi-layered webbed conspiracy. Um, let, let's delve into the football then, George, because it was a momentous victory for City and, and potentially, come the end of the season, uh, season-defining. I wonder just what your thoughts on on the on the fixture itself. You had a bit of time to digest it, you know, lift the iron curtain up a bit. You were, you were at a different football match. You were interviewing Gary Johnson, uh, who's a talkie manager. So you, you, you got to digest it after it happened and you got to sort of uh, live through it in a different way. But but after the dust has settled, what are you thinking about that match? What are you thinking going forward? What were the takeaways for you? I think personally for me, it, was, it wasn't just a good win. I think it was a huge result, both, you know, obviously itself for the league standings, but psychologically as well. Um, not only for the fact it does us good, but for Arsenal as well. That's what I believe, you know, four games on the spin, they failed to win now. Mm. And a lot of the question marks surrounding them were, how are they going to react when things aren't going their way, when things aren't going well? Because that's the mark of champions. Yes, you've got to win games, but it's how you negate those tricky periods. And we're beginning to see how they react. And for me, obviously, you know, not to touch too much on it, but their match this weekend away at Aston Villa, Saturday lunchtime kickoff, you know, mm. the curse of the early kickoff, <laughs> I think is a is a huge, huge game. If you know they slip up there, do the wheels start falling off? Um, but no, the game itself, it was just so refreshing for me to see this city side just well up for it. You know, the anticipation, the movement, and just the sheer determination to win this match. It was there for all to see, and it was it was brilliant. Um and I've, I actually spoke to a friend of mine who's a huge Arsenal fan and all the way through he was, uh, even though I couldn't obviously watch the game, he was just messaging me about what was going on. And, but he was very fair and, and he felt, in his, well, his summary is he felt they were very naive and didn't quite adapt to the slight changes that we had made. Um, but I also feel on the flip side, that's where our experience came in. We've been in those kind of games before. We've been in that situation. We've got that know-how. And I think, and I feel as though that, that saw us through personally, you know, just absolutely hounding them at every opportunity, gambling on mistakes. I mean, you look at Kevin De Bruyne's first goal, what a goal, I might add. That, mm. <laughs> that technique is just absolutely outrageous. But if you watch Kevin De Bruyne in the build-up to that, he's, he sees Grealish, you know, chasing down Tommy Asu, and he gambles. He pushes almost beyond the, the two centre-halves and that's how he gets the opportunity. He just took a risk. And mm. I do feel at times when City attack, I feel we're so structured, we're so precise in tr- what we're trying to do that at times we might not gamble on things and just to see that it was just really refreshing and it was obviously a, like I said a, a great finish absolutely buzzing for Jack I, I love Jack mm. Grealish and I think I love him even more because I'm subjected to every single day my Villa supporting mate in the group chat any opportunity to, for, for Grealish slander <laughs> he will take it to the point it just gets frustrating and I didn't hear anything from him last night so it must have been good <laughs> but you saw how much it meant to him when he, yeah. you know, it hit the back of the net because he gets in those positions, but luck doesn't always fall his way. And he got a slice of luck last night, and no one deserves it more than him. And he's been one of the best players for us recently. He's he's been excellent. Um, I would have been a bit annoyed. Can you imagine just the abuse and all of the things in the social media? Had he have just lost it and taken his top off in that celebration, and got sent <laughs> off though. Remember, I wouldn't even, have hated it. I know, but even though I know what happened, I saw him when I was watching it for the first time back. And I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but um, also, does it not feel a bit weird being on the other side of the coin in that we didn't have hardly any possession, but we've won the game rather than being the team with all the possession and losing it? Um, the that's, lowest... That's a- the yeah. lowest ever percentage possession for City in the Premier League win for Guardiola. Uh, Adam, just sort of widening the lens a little bit once more. 
I remember being on the show after that FA Cup game and, and we were discussing whether or not it would have an impact in the title race. Well, since then, including that game, as George mentions, Arsenal have, have gone four without a win. It, I suppose that it's definitive now, isn't it? That, that that game at the Etihad, despite how poor City were, has clearly wobbled Arsenal a little bit and they're going to have to bounce back massively because if not, we could be looking at by the end of February, a five-point gap for, for City at the top of the table. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this weekend is going to be the true test of of what kind of metal this Arsenal team has, and um, you know, I've I've kind of said all along back in December, January, um, that for Arsenal, it's not going to be um, how many wins they can put together; it's how they deal with moments of adversity. And I don't mean mm-hmm. games; I mean moments within games. And I think you saw in that second half that. When when and I thought this was a brilliant substitution by by Pep Guardiola when when Akanji came on for Mares and Bernardo was pushed out to the right wing and Bernardo was kind of given free reign to press up and down that right and it was Zinchenko and Gabriel and and he was causing them all sorts of problems and you could feel uh, at least on the broadcast you could feel that the Emirates was getting a little bit tense there was a couple of times that Arsenal struggled to play out of the press and it's moments like that where if you're an Arsenal player. You don't have Kyle Walker to look to. You don't have Ruben Diaz to look to. You don't have a focal point, somebody that's been there and done it and won multiple leagues and been through these situations to say, hey, how do we weather this five to 10 minute storm here? And they weren't able to weather it and City get two goals off the back of it. And I've seen all sorts of of talk from the media, from Arsenal fans saying, oh, they've, they've gifted these goals to City. But City caused the problems that led to the goals. It was their press. It was their energy. It was them that made Arsenal wobble in that 5, 10, 15-minute spell. And they win the game because of it. So I think it, it kind of zooming in on that little that little moment, we saw the experience of of City kind of rising to the top there, that, that they've dealt with big atmospheres, big occasions when – it's way more than three points on the line. It's it's the entire outlook of a title race on the line. And Arsenal couldn't handle it. And I've said this all along, that it's it's those little moments that they're going to have to figure out if they can deal with. So, yeah, this weekend is absolutely huge for them. Um, and I think it might be level on points right now at the top, but the the emotional outlook is is definitely favoring City at the moment. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. Uh, Another reminder, if you haven't already, go back and listen to yesterday's review show. We go into a bit more depth about the result, the immediate post-match emotion, etc. and what it could mean going forward in the title race. Part of that title race, of course, will continue at the City ground on Saturday. Uh, George, it's City's first trip away to Nottingham Forest since the right old year of 2001, when I think all of us were a little bit more fresh-faced and uh, a little bit more mumbling and bumbling. Um, It's a big game for City this, I feel. Obviously, not necessarily in terms of the opponent, but just to make sure that what's gone beforehand with those sort of that inconsistency, win one week, lose the next... Really, if we're being honest, if City have hopes of winning three league titles in a row, they really have to go on one of those winning runs we keep speaking about so they can go on and really put a dent in Arsenal's lead. Absolutely. It's it's such a, a big game for us. I mean, I'm feeling quietly confident just purely based on the fact, A, you know, City are obviously a, a better side, but as long as they don't kind of underestimate Forest, yes, they're without an absolute plethora of first-team players. Like, you know, they've got so, so many injuries 
Um, Jesse Lingard can have to be assessed. You know, he missed last time out. Ryan Yates, who's been key for them, particularly uh, in the defensive phases, he should be available after missing out um, recently with illness. Got Willie Bolly, Scott McKenna. They both came off against Fulham with hamstring injuries, so will likely miss out. There's a lot of people missing, and Steve Cooper will want to be getting them back as, as soon as possible because you know they're trying to stay in this division. But yeah, from a City perspective, this is you know it's a must win, and potentially should Arsenal drop points in that early kickoff, again it's another huge game, and I I get a kind of feeling. If you recall that tight race we had with Liverpool where, you know, we won, they won, we won, they won. It just kept going and going mm. and going. I feel like we need to almost channel into a bit of that. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, if we, if we win our games, I feel if we play to the best of our ability and Arsenal plays to the best of theirs, I still feel as though they will drop points more often than City will. Uh, that's just the way I feel. But I was going to ask you actually, because I did have a sort of a look at the last time when we played Forest at the City ground in a league game. It, uh Points, extra points if you can tell me the score and who scored City's goal. Well, I know it. I know it because <laughs> I, I was on I was on a Forest podcast in the week and I got ex- asked that exact same question. So, Adam, um, no, it's, I got it's nothing down for to you. you. I've got you, nothing for no, you. No, you do. You do. You do. You <laughs> will do. know. You do know. You absolutely know. He, he, he was fed and he delivered. Greatest of all time. Oh, was it Alfie Harlan that scored that goal? <laughs> No, nearly. What do you, nearly. What, what do you reference? Oh, you say he was fed. Of all time? You said it was fed. Was it? Yeah. It was Sean Coder. Yeah. yeah, there we go. I'm actually looking at the lineup right now. Uh, Nicky Weaver in goal, 22 year old Nicky Weaver. <laughs> he was he was in a defence that includes Stuart Pearce, ex Nottingham Forest legend, a 39 year old Stuart Pearce at the time. <laughs> um, there was Kevin Harlock in there. There was Richard Dawn, Darren Huckabee, Sean Gota. City have come a long way, haven't they, since then, Adam? And and just going back to what George was saying about the injuries that Forest have got, I don't know if you saw this story that broke on, on Thursday afternoon. Nottingham Forest begged the Premier League to help solve their injury crisis. Steve Cook, who was unregistered at the end of the January transfer window, um, is now uh, Forest are now begging the Premier League to let him back in because they've had so many injuries in that position. I suppose that's what you get when you spend seven hundred million on ninety-six new players. Yeah, um, I think it's only Barcelona they get passes like that, right? That they get brand <laughs> yeah, new players yeah. anytime they have an injury crisis. Um, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. No, I I think that this is like George said, it's another huge opportunity for City to to kind of th- throw another punch in the title race because, like I said, it's it's going to be a real test for Arsenal at Villa, and that is not. That is not an easy game to have after this wobble. You know, if if you're coming out of a a sticky patch when you've lost to your title rivals twice in four games, um, I'd say one of the worst places you could go right now is Villa Park, which is red hot every week with with Unai Emery. And um, yeah, I think as far as City go, it's that Arsenal game told me a lot. And you know, I think some of the players, Pep has come out and said, well, Arsenal were the better team, but, you know, we were clinical. And I think that's what City are going to have to lean on for the back end of this title race. It's not going to be swashbuckling, attacking football, and we're going to score four and five goals mm-hmm. a game. It's going to be weathering little storms. We know that tons of players aren't, you know, at their peak, um, but they have the experience to draw on to, to capitalize in moments. And um, this may be a very... Um, traumatic uh reference but it felt very real madridy that city performance at arsenal <laughs> um, i see what you mean i see what the, you mean now, you know arsenal had the chances had the chances had the chances didn't i mean they didn't create much for for large stretches but enketia had a couple of chances you know the crowd was on top of city 
But then City just weather the storm. They they have 10 to 15 minutes where they're on the front foot and bang, they capitalize, they score two goals, they win the game. And that might be the type of performance that we're going to see from City from here on out. It's not going to be 2017, 2017 through 2019 where you know it's it's bombing down the wing and creating loads of chances. It's going to be creating three or four in a game, taking two or three of them and defending well and and you know, one man we haven't touched on today. I know you guys mentioned him yesterday on on the immediate reaction to the game, but Ruben Diaz. I mean, he's just mm. overnight revolutionized City's defense, and Kyle Walker is coming back to form as well, which is a huge boost. So, if you are able to lean on your defense a little bit more, which we weren't before, you can kind of scrap your way through games, and I think that's that's really what City are going to have to lean on from here on out because it's it's not going to be pretty. Um, but I think. In the last couple of weeks, they've discovered within themselves a new way to win. Hmm. I'm I'm interested what you think about team selection, George, because I mean the the obvious caveat on this at this part of the show is we have no idea what Pep Guardiola <laughs> is going to choose. However, in the last two games, it has been a little bit more predictable. He he admitted in the um, in the post match the Arsenal game that his first half tactics were were woeful. So I'm I'm assuming that's possibly the last we see of Bernardo Silva playing in this sort of auxiliary left back position. Big game in midweek again against RB Leipzig. They're flying in the Bundesliga. Is this an opportunity for City to maybe get some of those fringe players into the team? Or is it a case of rinse, repeat, copy and paste? You did it on Wednesday night. If we're going to win the league title, you're going to have to play the same players. Get your best players on the pitch and let them play football. I think exactly that, exactly that. Your your latter point. I mean, how often do we hear, yes, we know that you know City are desperate for the Champions League. They are, but mm. the Premier League is the bread and butter. You know, you don't sacrifice one for the other. So I think we could see some rotation here, of course. You know, that game against Arsenal, even though we've won it, it, it can be potentially draining. So you've got plenty of players there that are chomping at the bit to come in. Um, but it's interesting what you said, Adam. I put, I put it in our chat. I, I'm just a firm believer that Ruben Diaz needs to be one of the first names on that T-sheet. For me, he is the best defensive defender we have yes you've got the likes of Laporte you know in the way that they can kind of progress the ball the crossfield plays he makes but as an out and out defender a leader someone who kind of has that aura that you know the company's had some defenders have it some don't and for me Ruben Diaz is a man that I would happily go into battle with you know he's just he's got that <laughs> air about him and I wasn't surprised when I came out and caught up with the game just you know that that challenge made on on Xhaka and amongst other challenges he's made as well and Whereas I, for me, I feel we're a significantly weaker team, particularly defensively, when he's not in the squad. So for me, he has to be playing whenever he's available. Um, I mean, I was interested to hear what you thought about this, actually, because I feel like we, obviously that potentially, you know, the back three. But obviously, if Rico Lewis comes in, I feel like this is a good game for Rico Lewis to to come into personally. Um, mm. But it's it's always so difficult, and I always kind of make these predictions in my head of what I think, oh, what might we see and. Nine times out of ten, I'm completely wrong. <laughs> like, <and laughs> yeah, Pep's welcome just, to the club. And Pep's just gone the other way. But but yeah, I'm, there's just so many different question marks. I'd quite like to see Foden, but I think you've got to stick with what's been working. If it's not broken, you know, don't don't change it. And we need we need the points. We need to be putting the pressure on. And like I said earlier, potentially capitalise on on any drop points at, at Villa Park, where two sides are both coming into that game off the back of 3-1 defeats to City. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, stick with stick with what he thinks will win the game, regardless of if that means, you know, having another player in there 
just put Leipzig out of the mind for now. Just put that, get this game won and then focus on that. You you agree with that, Adam? Uh, we'll wrap up here. But do you, do you think you know the likes of Rico Lewis, Phil Foden, uh, maybe Calvin Phillips? It, 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 it's not the sort of time now, City, where for, for Guardiola and Co. It's not the sort of time where they can now start to change fiddle little bits and bobs. City playing well, just keep it going because you don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah, I think that the last couple of games have shown us that there is a spine forming right now in the team. Um, I think mm-hmm. there's probably six or seven players that, for me, are totally undroppable if they're fit. Um, and that's probably Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, Nathan Ake, Rodri, De Bruyne, Gundogan, Holland, Grealish. And if you can mm-hmm. fit other players in around them, great. If you can get Foden back and firing again, that's great. If you can get Rico Lewis in the team, that's great. Um George mentioned Laporte. I think he's so vital to the way that City build up. But I think in these games against teams like Arsenal, where you may have a little bit less of the ball, and, and like we said, 36% possession, the you know the least amount of possession we've had in the Pep Guardiola era, um, then a player like Laporte might not be as useful as somebody like Ake, who can kind of dig in and, and be an imperious defender. Which, by the way, if Erling Holland wasn't around, Nathan Ake should be getting player of the season. I mean, he's been... Absolutely incredible. Well, he, he still can, can't he? You know, I just you know, Holland's going to finish with what fifty odd goals. He's just he's not he's going to get player of the season. Look, as someone who played defense in grassroots football, I'm always going to make the case that player of the season doesn't have to go to the the top goals. Scoring goals is easy. oh, I agree. In my those in my eleven aside adult league, I was playing right back, and just because I shouted a bunch, I thought I should get player <laughs> of the season. But there was other players uh, scoring the goals, so. No, I think you've so got. Are you the Seamus Coleman of <laughs> yes. your eleven aside league? Yeah, that's a great reference because I haven't played since I broke my leg in the last game. I mean, <laughs> oh, this was you know a year ago, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean you've you've got a you've got a, a a spine in the team forming, and I think you've now got players that you're going to lean on, and that's great because that's enough players that can get you through games while you take the time to get Phil Foden back and firing, you get Rico Lewis mm. back and firing, even Bernardo Silva you know, maybe in, in more natural positions for him. So um, it's a great time for this to happen. Can you get three or four more players back, you know, at their peak in form? If you can, that's great. And that's only going to be a boost. But um, I think you've got to lean on those players going forward. Fantastic stuff. Um, right, okay, we'll call it a day there. We'll call it for the week, actually. We'll be back on Monday. George, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. Always uh, always good to chat to you guys. Adam, thank you very much as always as well. Thank you. And until next time, we will see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.